Okay, it's going to be a slightly different presentation because um, I'm going to put a lot of slides up and uh, there's a lot of content on them. I'm going to try and skip through some of that content so as not to bore you to tears. Much of it you will have heard before or seen before. You may not have seen it put together before. Um, but uh, So I will try to do that as, as efficiently as I can. There is a copy of the PowerPoint which, I, which has been run off for everybody so you can have that uh, to go to take away with. Um, but uh, they don't want you reading it before, while I'm talking, uh, which is very nice of them. So um, let me start by saying that this actually, um, Kevin Lynch is such an important figure. I feel, you know, I don't really feel I'm worthy of a, a Kevin Lynch uh, memorial lecture, uh, but it's great to be here and to be able to, to deliver this. Um, and I wanted to take from Kevin Lynch, um, uh, from his theory of good city form, an emphasis on social justice. Um, he doesn't spend a lot of time talking about it. Uh, he says it's, it's going to be diffi very difficult to achieve, but he thinks that through sustainable development we might uh, get somewhere towards solving it for future generations. But that's the theme I wanted to pick up on. And I also wanted to pick up on something Sebastian Lowe wrote in the journal um, uh, in the summer when he said, urban designers are not at the core of the debate on important national issues like housing shortage, green belt, and garden cities. Um, I, want to, I don't think I need to correct that now that David Rudlin and co have uh, done uh, their work for the garden cities uh, project, but uh, I wanted to emphasize that I agreed totally with that, and I wanted to be a bit of a, a corrective, if you like. So um, without further ado, what am I going to actually talk about? Um, Five things really, the UK housing crisis and the consequences of undersupply, the coalition's housing, planning and uh, localism uh, very briefly, the garden city debate and the coalition concept, the, uh, the concepts versus the, the uh, Wolfson winner uh, examples because there, there are six or seven shortlisted schemes which I want to touch on. Uh, I want to have a quick look at the London housing strategy and the harsh realities of that. Uh, because I think that's really the only place that there's a lot of housing being built and we can make judgments about it. And then I want to look at some solutions, but that will really be by looking at um, the key reports which have just come out from uh, people like Lyons and Co. So it's quite a lot to do, and I'm going to skip light, try to skip lightly through it uh, as best I can. Uh, but I start off with this diagram, which I think is, is very powerful, um, I first spotted it in the London Review of Books, and it took my breath away, really. Uh, and I discovered they got it from an oblique source in Sheffield. Now it's in the KPMG report in glorious Technicolor. And I think it, the points about it are the, the end of council housing, what a hole that's left. The modest production of housing associations. We really haven't allowed them to, to, to prosper and to grow in the way in which they should have done. And then a private market, which goes up and down like a yo-yo, as incredibly sensitive to economic growth and stagnation. Um, and uh, the, the key thing to note about that, of course, is as, as supply goes down, the prices go up. Uh, and they go up to such an extent, of course, that uh, we have a, a real problem. And of course, also, the population hasn't stopped growing. Eight million people since um, 1981. Uh, where are they going to be housed? How are they going to be housed? Especially the the poor half of them. So, a brief reconnaissance of the, um, uh, the last 40 years of undersupply and government disregard. 
Um, I'd like to say that I think Labour has been as guilty in some ways as, as uh, the Conservatives in terms of not giving this issue the priority it, it needed. But of course the Thatcher government it was who introduced right to buy and buy to let and began the whole kind of rentier boom uh, which of course we're, we're living with now. The major government recognised the problem, didn't really do anything much about it, had a quality initiative. The Blair government um, pursued a renaissance and got Brownfield up to 77%, but only slowly increased housing production. But they did actually increase it. Brown came in with some ideas about increased social uh, housing support, um, but of course the financial crisis intervened and uh, other initiatives, eco-cities, the Northern Way, fell by the way, fell by the wayside, really. And then, of course, the recession, and then Cameron comes in, and his coalition government abolishes the uh, regional spatial strategy, um, insists upon local plans, which I think is, is a good thing, a very positive thing, uh, but gives a big boost to private rental, etc. So um, the affordability crisis in increases dramatically and I think all of this can be put into a single sentence of David Harvey's work where he says you know this this is the progression of neoliberalism deregulation privatization withdrawal of the state from social provision a profoundly democratic set of outcomes and that's where I think we are at the moment um, and then the key statistics that define uh, the crisis um, I think we, we know we need somewhere around about 200 to 243 uh, houses, houses annually. Uh, we're building about a half that figure, just slightly over it. Um, home ownership is falling from 71 to 65% since 2003. Private renting is increasing significantly, 31 to 45%. Um, and uh, particularly amongst the uh, the uh, 25 to 45 year olds so they're being taken out of the uh, the potential owner occupancy occupancy sector and that, that's another very worrying thing and that statistic there that on average people spend 40% of their income on private rent those in private rent those in social rent pay 30% but those in owner occupation pay 20% it's that inequity I think which is really the very worrying thing and it's going to, it's having an enormous effect on uh, society at large uh, and of course on urban design in turn. Um, average house prices now eight times the average income rather than four times as they were in 1984. And this diagram from um, the uh, KPMG report which is a brilliant report shows this kind of every time we have a, a downturn what happens to housing it falls it doesn't recover it continues to fall. And the key conclusion of that is that house builders now, their response is to prioritise margins over volume. So, you know, they're making good steady profits, but they're not building anything like enough. That's their strategy. And then, of course, the impact of house prices on land prices. House prices may be six times higher than they were in 1983, but land prices are 16 times higher. Um, and in Birmingham, uh, they reckon that land prices are 60 times the agricultural value. In London, out of London, it's 200 times. So that's the kind of barrier that we're facing when we come to try to finance housing. And it's a, it's a big problem for house builders, of course. 
so, you know, they are not immune to this problem. They, are, they suffer from this problem very significantly. And that is felt through the problems with the community infrastructure levy, which, of course, is only um, applicable uh, in those places which have got plans. Um, but that is no longer only covering a third of the infrastructure costs. So it's becoming less and less significant and f falling significantly. And then the increase in private landlords. I was astonished to discover that 72% of private landlords have one property. So there's this tremendous end product of the buy-to-let boom, uh, which has been really problematic. And of course, the buy-to-let is so, so profitable uh, that outperforms shares by three times. It's no wonder that those who can are sorting their money away in, uh, in that process. And that ma makes the problem much worse. What are the implications for urban design? Well, I think they're um, the most significant. Housing is the most significant built form uh, in the urban landscape. Uh, and its success in achieving a sense of place is one of the bedrocks of urban design and of social continuity. It's key to neighborhood and neighborhood quality. Uh, the tenure of housing indicates the level of control that people have um, and uh, the amount they have to pay influences their lifestyle directly in, in terms of their income. The size and adaptability of housing is very significant. Um, and, you know, if more and more lower income houses are exclude, households are excluded from new development, urban design is going to be complicit in this uh, social exclusion. So all of those things are the things I worry about. And just to break up the kind of the uh, quantity of words, a couple of illustrations. These are two things, uh, two projects that I visited and take my students to whenever I get the opportunity. And these from 2009, this is the Tabard, this is Barclay Homes. I'm going to be very rude about Barclay later on. Um, but with 37% affordable um, 486 dwelling units per hectare, high density, a good so uh, social content, um, a good mix of uses, uh, a kind of gated community, but only for the six hours of, of, of night. So it's extremely well integrated into the fabric. So a really big plus. We can do it. Barclay Homes can do it when they want to. And of course, the second example, Accordia, Cambridge. Um, again, this time uh, a very good local authority, a very good housing build, house builder, excellent architects, landscape architects, and really going the full, uh, the full mile really to produce something that is 30% affordable with three hectares of public gardens, but um, is also uh, a good density, 47 dwelling units per hectare. So we knew that in 2009 we could produce these sorts of things. Uh, it's easy to forget that. Because now, of course, it's become much more difficult. If we look at the housing streams, I'm only going to highlight a couple of things here. £4.7 billion for affordable housing stream. Um, this is uh, for affordable rent, uh, affordable rent and affordable ownership. Um, and so it's, it's a large sum of money. But um, as we see in the butts at the bottom, uh, Treasury grants to housing associations have been cut by 60%, by not by two-thirds. Um, so, you know, there's a kind of giving and taking away here. Build to rent is very significant, uh, yet to impact, I think, but clearly something that uh, the government has in mind. Purpose-built private rental, 
um, and big loan guarantees for that. So that's something which is going to hit us, I think, uh, shortly. And then significant money for really for, for uh, large, uh, large site infrastructure projects um, for uh, something like 200,000 homes, at least a, a good uh, one year's supply perhaps in terms of uh, breaking the logjam in, in those projects. All the rest is small beer really. There's a builder's finance fund rescuing uh, stalled projects. There's a bit for custom build. There's a little bit for estate regeneration. Um, some for infrastructure and new money for housing zones to support brownfield housing uh, in, uh, particularly in London um, but of course all of that money it's bewildering in terms of funding you can't get hard figures for how the money and where the money is spent that's very frustrating and all the time uh, grants are going the unused bedroom tax is working at the other end in a punitive fashion um, and help to buy is working fine for those with uh, good salaries, um, but maximum of 4.5 to the income. So it's having no major effect really upon the market. Um, and then housing and planning. Planning, it's interesting that in some ways planning is, uh, is really not, not part of the problem in, in, in the sense of um, what the government has done with one major exception, two major exceptions perhaps. Um, I think the, the radical compression of policy was probably overdue, but has gone far too far, really. Um, Plan-led it needed more emphasis. It needed to be driven much harder. Um, still only 50%, 57% of plans adopted. 21% um, not even published. So that really is important. But if you're going to make, put the emphasis on plan-led, then abolishing the re regional spatial strategies has been a disaster the duty to cooperate is too weak. Uh, we have core planning principles there, but um, I don't think I think they are. It's a little bit of lip service, in a sense, to those who might take those apart later on. Uh, the community infrastructure levy is being uh, tougher and tougher. More tests of viability, reduced monies. Localism, I think, is a distraction. I know Joe will take great exception to that, but I think in the context of housing supply. It's a real, it, it's, it is, is exactly that, a distraction. Um, and things like the new homes bonus is the only real incentive to local authority councillors to uh, do something about uh, getting their plan up. But the real sting is in the tail. And that is, I didn't find this first of all when I first started to do this analysis. I couldn't find anything really significant about affordable housing in the, uh, in, in the design uh, compilation. But when I got to find it in the NPPF, uh, I read that inclusive communities um, were going to be a product of affordable housing up to 80% of market rents. And when you think the social rent is 30%, that is absolutely ludicrous. Uh, and it's really, that's something I'm going to come back to in the context of, of London and the examples in London. I said that the design advice has also uh, been condensed, so condensed that the London planners are now intending to rescue the most useful advice. I think that's a very useful thing for them to do and a very necessary thing because baby in bathwater uh, you know, is, is the uh, real product of, of such a condensed um, set of design advice. Building for life is no longer a key CLG indicator. 
um, which lost architecture, sustainability, construction innovation, so any kind of um, real innovation. And we lost CABE. And I think the loss of CABE, or the downsizing of CABE, which I'm supposed to say, is really, I think, has been very significant. We don't get the state evaluations. We don't get best practice housing design, um, although we get the housing design awards, of course. Um, we don't get the good critique of, of um, house, house building uh, products. Uh, and we don't have the strategic urban design initiative, which I think was something that was really quite important and should have been something for the future. We've had the Farrell review, but how can you have a Farrell review when DCMS is it's all DCMS and no DCLG? I mean, to his credit, Terry says the role of that positive planning is critical. Um, but I think that decision to separate the two, again, is a negative step, step backwards. And then finally, I was going to take the example of the, um, uh, I don't have it here, but I was going to take the example of the uh, Rob Cameron's fantastic treatise on um, the uh, quality reviewer. Uh, when I was going through the HTA stuff, I found that they've got that down to one page now. Uh, a one-page form, and I thought, what, a, what an insult! What a, what an, what a pointless activity, and that that really did upset me. So that leads us on to the other final part of the, of what the government's doing, and this is the locally led garden citizen initiative, um, which is actually small beer, I think, really, um, because really, apparently, Ebbsfleet and two other ex others are going to be potential case studies. Um, it's strong on anti-top-down planning, which I think is, is we still need top-down planning. Um, it, has, it trots out the usual material. It includes the TCPA 10 principles, which, which are use, very useful, but there's no additional guidance or updating of those. Um, they expect local authorities to come up with the, the goods, really, on these projects, and then they will offer... Uh, HCA loans, Atlas expertise and things like that to support them. But what really worries me is this question of land value uplift, paying for infrastructure, which is the TCPA's principle number, uh, what is it, not, anyway, it's some, one of the TCPA key principles. But how is that going to be achieved is really a, such an important question. So I think that from the point of view of the coalition, it's a very retro idea and the challenge, of course, is to turn it into something which is uh, very much more up-to-date, much more positive. And that's, of course, where the Wolfson Initiative comes in. Uh, and I thought reading these documents was one of the best things that I've done in the last year, really. It, really. it really invigorated me and made me think again about all these questions. I went back to Peter Hall's book and looked at containment again and all of his wise, wise words about... Uh, the, the new towns and all of that kind of thing, the green belts and all those other things, and the whole kind of Howardian tradition which he which he's evoked so strongly. Um, so that I thought all the documents that I read, the the, the, the winners, uh, the shortlisted uh, set were very interesting, and of course I was delighted that the winner was Rudlin uh, uh, with three his idea of three suburban extensions, each of uh, five neighbourhoods. Uh, with as much accessible green space and new development as uh, as new development, so very much a balanced uh, 
balanced game, really, of taking away green space but putting it back in, in a protective designation, using bus rapid transit because it clearly wasn't viable to use um, mass transit uh, in, uh, of a different kind. Um, and that very good statement, land acquired at 20 times agricultural value, 15% of development value. It's the first per only person I've seen to actually set that down in any way. And of course, it'd be very interesting to know what the logic of that really is. Um, but it's, uh, it's a key statement, I think, and something that other people have really not done. So lots of good things about, these, uh, about the winner particularly, but also about the others. I'll come on to the others in a moment. But of course, no sooner had the, the prize been awarded that uh, the minister, housing minister, Brandon Lewis, says in the most kind of hopeless, really, way possible, we're committed to protect the greenbelt and against urban sprawl without really understanding, um, certainly not understanding the concept of urban sprawl. A very weak, pathetic response from someone, of course, who is a well-known buy-to-let landlord. Um, but that doesn't, shouldn't surprise anyone. Um, so here's Uxester. Here's the, uh, the idea of doubling the size of an existing city. It's a kind of expanded town uh, mentality that, that I think seeps through much of this um, much of the Wolfson entries and I think that's a very positive thing and the comment about you need good rootstock to grow your city you know all that remember, remember the new town blues and all those kinds of things you know that's something which will help to short circuit the process and I found it talk, briefly talking to David how much he'd learned from the Oxford in, uh, initiative which I'll come on to in a moment many ideas were derived from the case of Oxford uh, which has a very similar problem uh, and in terms of kind of expanding town. So what we have in this example, 600 hectares, half development, half green space. Um, it, pre it preserves existing residential amenity to, to negate really um, the criticisms of nimbyism and things like that. It's bus rapid transit, I've said. It's got an expanded town centre, stakeholder involvement, a sustainability charter seems to me to be a very positive thing. But as I say, the others as well, I think, got some very important points, particularly the runner-up shelters project in northwest Kent, um, which its emphasis on sort of five sub-settlements linked by uh, a good rail system, because that's already in existence, fast build, 38% affordable, Dwelling, the density up to 60 dwelling units per hectare. Again, I think that's something which is useful. Prefabrication ideas, modern methods of construction. That's again something that we should be thinking about much more. Um, and including a mix of rental and, um, and ownership and some self-build, etc. Very extensive green space protection. Um, an emphasis on patient money and Garden City Trust. I wondered when they had... The, the, they listed the church commissioners as their funders, but there was any reality to that. I'm still puzzling over that. Uh, I'd like to think that there was a certain truth in that, uh, and that could work. Um, and, of course, maximising public participation. And the actual model that they show is a inter very interesting one, very, very Dutch, I think, in, its, um, in many of its, its aspects, uh, particularly perhaps its density, a dense core, sub-centres, um, strong uh, protection of, of water environment because this is um, low-lying land, etc. 
um, and uh, an all-round excellent project. So very encouraging, I think, and it's interesting here now it's talked about in the context of extension of crossrail and things like that. Uh, but of course, we're starting to dream.